He is so good. He is so good. You know, I wasn't thinking that I would really be going after healing, but it just turns out he always wants to do it. <laughs> Who'd have figured? <laughs> um, right. Um, I'm going to just read something from Luke 10, if you want to turn there, but you don't have to. Right. Um, so, um, it's only going to be a little bit that I read here. So, I'm going to start at verse 1. So this is when he sends out, Jesus sends out the 72. So after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. That, that verse 5 there, a bit where it talks about entering a house, has fascinated me for years. You know those verses where you, you read them and you kind of know what it means, but you also kind of don't? <laughs> it's like, I think I know what that's about, but I'm not sure. It's like, yeah, I kind of get what it's talking about, but like, because in, in, in some of the other books, like in Matthew, it actually just says, um, it's, it talks about the peace in a different way. It says like, letting, it talks about letting your peace rest. And then all like, all like having it returned to you. And I'm like, I don't really understand. How do I do that exactly? How do I like move this piece around and <laughs> decide where it goes? It's like, what's that about? But it's describing a situation where a believer's internal reality, when there's a level of honor applied, and this is the bit where it says about, you know, if there's a person of peace, in, in the other translation it says if that person is deserving, Says when there's a, I think that's talking about where there's a level of honour for the for that believer who's carrying that internal reality. That believer has the ability to transform an environment that they go into simply by entering into it. So that you're talking about it's talking about entering into these houses, and actually that internal reality of the kingdom's peace that they're carrying, they actually can transform the environment just by entering into it if there's honour applied. So what, now, what does this piece look like? Well, we know that you know the word shalom actually is way bigger than our you know modern English definition of peace. It means well-being. Oh, that's clever! Didn't know they'd done that. Um, well-being, health, prosperity, peace. It basically just means all the good stuff, all the good stuff in one word. And we actually see um, what we just what, I just what you see in that verse. We actually just see that. An example of that with Jesus um, in actually it's Luke 8 and this is actually um, I'm going to jump down to 47 this is um, the woman who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years and it says in verse 7 47 then the woman seeing that she could not go unnoticed came trembling and fell at his feet in the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her daughter, 
your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Now, actually, he wasn't saying go in peace like the way that somebody might say that today. Now, we don't tend to say that that much. But if we would say, go in peace, it kind of just means, yeah, see you later. Have a nice day. That is not what he meant. Actually, the closest translation would probably be to say, go into peace. Go, he's basically saying, enter into peace. In other words, he's saying, actually, as I make the decree over your life, I'm transitioning you from a place outside of peace into my peace. That's basically what he was telling the 72. You can go do that as well. This is the normal Christian life. See, every single one of us, if you have Jesus living inside your heart, there is like a metron of peace that you have in your life that you get to cultivate. When you encounter people who don't have it, you actually get to bring them into that. And you're probably doing it already without realizing it. But the more you increase your awareness of it, the more it can actually happen. You get to bring them into the well-being, into the health, the prosperity of God. Recently, I was, um, I was driving in my car on my way to pray for somebody who was very, very sick. And um, what happened is I'd actually just picked up my car from the garage because I'd, I'd bought it a few months ago. And um, it turned out that the people who sold it to me, um, I think something dodgy had been fudged on the MOT, and basically the brakes were all completely gone. And it was actually life-threatening dangerous, and I'd been driving it for a while. Um, so the disc's completely worn. It's basically illegal. Um, and I just picked it up. I'd paid a lot of money to get all the discs and the pads replaced. And I'd also just spoken to the people that sold it to me. And they were refusing to take any responsibility and pay any money. And um, although I haven't actually budgeted for that money, I wasn't worried about that. I know he's good. He's going to provide. But it was the injustice of it that was, I was, that was in my head. And I'm driving my car on my way to pray for someone. And do you know what? I was just living in that. I was living in that injustice. I was just like... It was like, yes, I was on the road, but I was very much in that injustice world as I was driving down the road. And suddenly the Holy Spirit just whispers to me, he goes, Dave, what are you cultivating right now? And I realized I am living in this problem right now. It's taken me outside of my normal. This has become my world for a moment. That's not helping me. And it's definitely not going to help the person that I'm about to pray for. I'm not, I wasn't at that moment, I was not cultivating peace. I was not cultivating heaven. I was not cultivating joy or faith. Now there's nothing wrong for me to be aware of that injustice. But it was wrong for me to live in there. That's not where I'm called to live from. So I knew I needed to repent and I spent the rest of my journey actually just marinating or letting him marinate me because I don't need to marinate myself. Letting him marinate me in his goodness and be reminded of how much he loves me. And as a result, when I went and prayed for that person, I, there was a specific word of knowledge that really revealed the exact part of the body where the disease was, which released faith into them, which, you know, that might not have happened otherwise. See, we'll never cultivate the right things unless we become quite good at saying no to the wrong things. I mean, I've started working at Eastgate recently. I was working advertising for years. I started working here in September I think it was in my first week, I was actually in the cafe 
talking to Sasha, and Sasha asked me, what are your dreams? What are you going after right now? And I don't know what you're, I'm not going to put words in your, out, in your mouth, but I imagine you're probably thinking like what I was going after in terms of like the supernatural, what I wanted to see in the kingdom, all good things. But actually the thing in my heart is I was like, honestly, the thing I don't, I don't really care about anything right now other than actually seeing my family become, my family and my family home become the epicenter of the revival that I'm part of. That's the only thing I care about right now. I want my kids to have more peace and joy and breakthrough and power in their lives than anyone else I know. Than anyone I pray for at a meeting or a conference. And it's not because I don't love those people. Of course I do, but if what I'm releasing in those meetings is real or on the streets is real, then the people closest to me should be beneficiaries of that. They should be the first people to benefit from that, if that's real. Was anyone at the healing school this year? Yeah, some of you were. It was so fun. Um, it was so fun, wasn't it? I think we didn't, I really regret that we didn't actually properly, properly count. But I estimate something around about 30 people got healed in the presence without anyone praying for them. And I, actually, on the first day during the worship, we actually just told a bunch of people to go stand in the corner because we felt like there was a circle of angels there. We just said, if you, if you need healing, just go stand in that corner. And about seven people got healed just because they walked into that corner of the room. It's so good. I love it. It's so good. I love it because it's just him and him just doing it. Us just getting out of the way and just letting him do it. It's not about, do you have a healing ministry? Do you have a healing anointing? He's got a healing anointing. And we know him. Simple. (laughs) But here's the thing. We shouldn't be satisfied with a mindset that says we need to come to a special meeting or be part of a special ministry or go to conferences or whatever it is to experience stuff like that. God's not interested in building ministries. He's interested in building people. He's interested in building relationships. He's interested in building lives. So I believe that my family home is the epicenter of the revival I get to be part of and get to bring to the world around me. And I actually think that if we get this right, this is what's going to help make this revival the one that lasts. Because there's something not quite authentic about stuff happening in a place like this and it being very different at home. I think God's overlooked stuff in history that I think now he just wants the real deal. I want more of his love manifest in my kids' lives than anywhere else I go. And I think something is only real in my life if it's the same behind closed doors as it is in public, if it looks the same, when no one's looking. And it's not about, I'm not necessarily talking about I go home tonight and my kids are rolling around the floor having manifestations. That's cool. It's not about, but it's not about the outward signs. It's about a level of his peace being free to reign in that, fam- in that home environment so that his kingdom can flow through it. The shalom, the fullness, the prosperity, the well-being, the life. And you, re- you really, you only get to give away what is yours by lifestyle, not performance. I actually think that 
what you give away out of performance probably just reproduces more performance. I don't think it produces lifestyle. You know, Bill Johnson's well known for saying what you tolerate dominates. I don't know if you've ever heard him say that, but the things in your life that you just allow them to be in your life when they shouldn't be there will probably end up dominating in a way that isn't healthy. And it's really true. I love that. But I also think that what you cultivate procreates. So the things that you cultivate, the environments that you build around your lives are probably the things that you're reproducing in other people's lives without you realizing a lot of the time. Which is why, why I believe the birthplace of revival today has to be in our homes, not the church. It doesn't start here. It starts at home. When we come here, we're bringing the revival. I really believe that you can measure what you really have to give away by what is happening at home. Now, the word cultivate means to create a culture of something or an environment that will sustain growth of something. The right kind of culture doesn't just happen. A culture only really becomes yours, I think, when you've had to fight for it to some degree. Now, if you've been around Eastgate for a while, you'll know that this, this really is a place of freedom. It's a place where freedom is such a big deal here. And actually, when there's freedom, a lot of stuff happens that you wouldn't see happen in other places. Sometimes people make messes, sometimes people make mistakes. But that's part of freedom. But you know what, there are some things, if you, if you get to know Pete Carter, there are some things that he will not allow. One of those is gossip. He is just a non-negotiable thing that if there is gossip, he wants it nowhere near him or anyone that he knows. Because he knows it's just completely destructive. See, sometimes your no's are even more powerful and more important than your yeses. And that no, that's just one example of a no that is so important and that you will have to fight for because it is what's going to protect the culture that we have here. There will always be things that want your attention in order to violate the culture that you're trying to build in your life. Sometimes those things are even our own behaviors. <laughs> That's what I've realized. There are many times when I've realized that actually my own behavior has actually violated the culture that I'm trying to build and create in my life and around me. And actually sometimes in those cases it was about being humble enough you know, maybe to go and actually go to my kids and just say, you know what, and get down at their level and look in their eyes and say, Daddy's really sorry, I messed up. I'm definitely not the perfect dad, but I do really, really place a high value on restoring when I messed up like that. Because when, I rest when you restore like that, you actually get to restore, it actually restores the standard of the culture that you've got. And I think that I think that you really know whether a culture is yours or not when you actually get challenged, when it gets challenged, when it's tested. It reveals how much that you've really got. And if I don't, so if I don't have peace, if I'm not really cultivating peace in my life, if I'm not building a lifestyle that is cultivating the shalom, then that well wellness, that well-being, that prosperity, that life, how much of that do I really have to give away when I go out into the world? And how much of it am I just performing?
This is the journey we're all on. Jesus always had enough peace to give away, didn't he? Always. You know, the disciples thought that when he was sleeping on the boat, that was actually gonna, that was actually gonna cause them to die in the storm. They thought that him sleeping on the boat was gonna cause them to die in the storm. But it was actually that very thing that was gonna save them. It was actually his fierce protection over his own connection with the Father and that perfect peace relationship that he had that was enabling him to release a level of peace that would actually control the physical environment and actually change the weather. That level of peace is actually your birthright, not just his. That's your birthright. And my family and I, were on a journey where, well, we've been on a journey for the last few years where it's becoming more normal. Like it's becoming more normal for the kids to see gold dust. It's becoming more normal for them to talk about angel encounters that they've had the night before or to see flashes of light appearing around the house. Now, I'm not saying that I celebrate those things in themselves. I do, but I'm not saying it for that reason. But what I'm actually celebrating is that little by little, the kingdom is being able to move more and more freely in their lives and through the home. I had some good news recently. Um, I've got three kids. Levi, who's one of the boys, he has, for the last few years, had a swallowing problem. And... um, Basically, what it means is that, and he's had like scans done where they, they it's called a video fluoroscopy, where you, you follow a, swallow a, a liquid and they're scanning you while you're doing it. And they could see that he actually couldn't swallow properly. So the scan showed that um, when the liquid went in, he choked on it every time, pretty much. And, or even thin foods or mixed textured foods as well. It basically, you would just choke on it and what that means is the food could end up on his lungs and he would get chest infections but actually it could even cause death it was like very very serious so that was a couple of years ago and then since then he's he had to go on heavily thickened fluids he has had to have he has to have a supervisor with him at lunch at school so a lady has to sit next to him the whole time watch everything that he eats every day in the morning we have to thicken his fluids it's literally like this he never has a normal thicken he never has a normal drink. It's like gloop, like a thick glue, every drink that he has, right? He, you look at him, he's a totally normally developing boy other than that, but, um, but this is a, very, is a very serious thing. Um, earlier on this year, I woke up one morning, it's dark in the house, goes to the bathroom, goes to the loo. I literally haven't even opened my eyes yet. I just feel Holy Spirit just whispers to me. Levi dreamt that he's an, he was an otter last night. Okay. <laughs> I told this to Pete the other day, and he goes, I was not expecting you to say that. <laughs> Those are not words I expected to come out of your mouth. <laughs> I was like, let me explain. Otters are his favorite animal. And um, a few years ago, him and his brother were doing swimming lessons every week, and they love swimming. And But what was happening with Levi is that because of this problem, he was choking on water all the time. And it was actually, he was getting real stomach pain. Like, he'd get out of the pool and he'd be like, his whole chest and stomach was in so much pain, he'd be screaming. And he'd just have to go, he would just have to be put to bed straight away. And he would get then these chest infections and stuff like that. It wasn't good. 
And um, so we just had to give up swimming. So we just stopped swimming lessons for two years. And, um, and so then basically, yeah, when I had this dream, I was, when, when I had this thing about the dream, uh, later on when Levi woke up, I, just, I, asked, I started asking about his dreams. And it turned out he did have a dream where he was an otter that night. He'd literally just woken up and had it. And he was swimming. And I said to him, what do you think it means? And he said, I think it means that God's healing my swallow so I can swim again. And um, they're now both doing swimming lessons. And he's doing great. He hasn't had any problems. Um, We've actually started giving him at home. We're not doing it yet when he's in other places. But at home, he's having completely normal drinks. And uh, he actually had... Last Monday, a um, speech and language therapist, which is the, person, the kind of person who, has, who monitors this kind of thing, came around to our house and watched him have lunch and drink and all those kind of things. And she was like, it's, he's, he's doing amazing. He's like doing really, really well. That's just good news. <clears throat> I had another time recently where Hannah, our little two-year-old, she is feisty. And um, she's a lot of fun, but she's she's a feisty one. Um, one day, um, just as Kate was just about to take her out, and they were just about to go out the door, and um, she, I just made Kate a tea. It was literally boiling hot. Just made it, handed it straight to her. Hannah jumps up, grabs, pulls it onto her own face, goes in her eyes, on her face, I look at her face, she's screaming, such a piercing, shrill scream. It's, it's in her eyes, her face is going blotchy, bright red straight away. Now, it sounds funny, I'm not saying this to make myself look good at all, but I just wasn't, I felt totally chilled. I just sat her on my knee, I was like, it's alright sweetie, I just release grace and peace into you right now. And then I looked at her and it completely gone. And she stopped crying and they went out to play group. And it, it was just, it was just totally normal after that. It's just totally fine. But it's when, when you're like, the more that you cultivate peace in your home, the more the kingdom gets to reign there. And like I said, I've known times when my behavior has violated that peace. I mean, I say I've known times, I know them a lot. <laughs> but if I restore the standard, then it restores the standard, right? Now, if you hang around Eastgate for too long, you're going to catch out, catch, you're going to hear people talking about the next dream that we've got or the multiple dreams we've got to change the culture, to change the world and all this kind of stuff. And we've got all these big dreams and it's all amazing. But I really think, as much as I, I'm actually like, I'm talking about those kind of things all the time, but really for all our fantastic ideas, I really do think it comes down to one thing. What are we each cultivating? What are we each cultivating in our own lives, in our own homes? It's not about building ministries. If every single one of us just cultivated shalom in our home and guarded that fiercely, protected that fiercely, what's the world going to look like? And it starts with our thought life. It starts with our thought life. God said to me recently, your greatest enemy isn't the devil. It's your own thought life. It's true. 
you know, thinking about God as he really is and thinking about us as we really are are the two biggest deals that there is. It's really that simple. We need to get those things right. They're the biggest things there is. There are. And it's not about knowing that while we're sat here in a room like this. It's about knowing it in the micro moments of life when we're faced with decisions, where challenges, where you're in traffic and somebody cuts you up and they really were a bit of an umpty about it. But what are you going to do? How are you going to react? How are you going to get let them affect your internal world? Or when you're trying to do something and you've got three kids screaming at you at the same time. Or you get a bill that you really weren't expecting. Or whatever it is. It's not just an overriding belief system. It's what are we cultivating in the moments. You know, most unhelpful responses to a situation are the result of an orphan mindset. I don't know how loved I am or how valuable I really am. It's why the war waging between the ears is the biggest war that there is. It's also why Jesus sleeping on the boat was the perfect illustration of peace. When you are completely secure in knowing God as he really is, and knowing yourself as you really are, there really isn't an external circumstance that can trouble you. Would you like to stand if you're able to? I think I'm going to stop there. I'm just going to pray. We want to be the real deal, right? Father, we want to be the real deal. Father, we want to be the real deal, Lord. I don't know about you, but I am not satisfied. I do not want a performance lifestyle. You know, I'll be really honest with you. There have been times when I've actually stood up and spoken to a, a, a room full of people and something didn't quite sit right. And it was because I knew that there was something that I hadn't dealt with at home to restore the shalom that was meant to be reigning there. And there I was standing in front of a room full of people, releasing it to them. And I've, since then I've realized I do not ever want that again. I'm going to make mistakes. I know I will make mistakes. Can't expect to be perfect. But it's about what are you fighting for? What are you cultivating? What are you prizing? So Father, right now, I just release in all of us authenticity right now, Father. I release fire, God, that we will fight for what is important, Lord, in the moments, Father. In the difficult moments, Father, that we will fight for what is important, Lord. We will fight to cultivate the right culture, Lord. We will fight for your peace, Lord. We will fight for your peace, Lord. Every single one of us, Lord.